Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we delve into the firing of David Culley, the struggles of a Rocket fan favorite. And it wasn't too exciting an NFL wildcard weekend, but we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. And joining me is my co-host, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, you and I knew Cully would get fired Thursday afternoon after we had a whole Cully conversation in our pod that we recorded late Thursday morning. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I even said on the podcast, Robert, you know what's going to happen? We're going to post this thing and they're going to fire David Cully. Well... It's exactly what happened. I don't remember if I said that on the podcast itself or when we were talking after, but I just knew, I mean, I just felt it in my gut that as soon as we put that thing up, something was going to happen. Either they were going to fire him or they were going to come back and say, no, we're not firing him. I wish I could say I was surprised, but this is the Texans, Robert. So should we be surprised by just about anything they do these days? Stephen, what's interesting about the Cully decision was the only thing anybody was upset about was the money Cal McNair had wasted on Cully's contract. Is anybody really upset about it otherwise? Well, I guess if Cal McNair's not upset, we shouldn't be upset. I mean, it's his money. He can do what he wants. I, I just don't understand it, Robert. I mean, why? first of all, why, why would you hire a guy with a multi-year contract with that kind of money and give him one year and then just jettison him? You know, Cully's certainly not sad. He's going to be getting paid quite a bit of money. I mean, I have a theory. I'm not saying it's a realistic theory and I have no inside information, but it just makes me wonder that when Brian Flores became available, if that's maybe what started the ball rolling a little faster in that direction than maybe it would have been if Brian Flores had not been available. I don't think it's Brian Flores, but what you're saying, I could see being a possibility. And I was thinking about that too, is maybe somebody is available or is out there that Casario really felt like, hey, this is the opportunity to go get him. I'm going to get to the names in just a second, but I think you might be onto something there. And it's interesting that Tim Kelly was fired, but unless I missed something, Lovey Smith is still around. You wonder if candidates are expected to be okay with Lovey as their DC, or if they just feel like they can pivot to somebody else, but they don't want to let Levy go quite yet. Yeah, that's funny. I was thinking about the Levy Smith thing uh, too this afternoon while I was kind of mulling over things for the podcast. And uh, it does make me wonder. I mean, his defense was certainly successful. I, I think a lot of it's just going to depend on whom the Texans do hire. You know, if it is somebody like Brian Flores, maybe there's a possibility that uh, Levy will stick around. If it's someone else, maybe not. But yeah, that that is an interesting kind of a, a subplot that I guess we have to see what happens with that. Yeah, you mentioned... Brian Flores is a candidate. Let's get to who they've interviewed so far as you and I are speaking on Tuesday night. The Texans have interviewed Florida Atlantic assistant Heinz Ward, better known as the Steelers receiving great. They've interviewed Chargers offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, whose grandfather is that Lombardi, the guy who they <laughs> That's named, right. named the Super Bowl trophy after. They interviewed Eagles DC Jonathan Gannon and just fired Dolphins coach Brian Flores, as you just mentioned, Stephen, we, we heard a lot of chatter during the season that Josh McDaniels was the likely successor to Cully, but yet another former Patriot, Stephen, Jared Mayo is now being buzzed as a potential favorite. Honestly, I could see somebody like Mayo making more sense because of his inexperience 
And that might be a deal where he's more willing to let Casario be the control freak that he likes to be, at least early on in the relationship, you know? Well, and see, Robert, this is where this is where I have such a problem. I, I mean, yeah, I, if if I had to choose between Jared Mayo and Josh McDaniels, boy, that's not much of a choice. I I don't understand why Josh McDaniels' name keeps getting floated about as far as a head coaching candidate is concerned. I, I mean, that that whole thing in Denver, you know, it, it didn't work out, and then the debacle with uh, what was it, the Indianapolis Colts? I, I just I don't see the guy as a head coach, but Jared Mayo. Yeah, that, that'd be the only thing that would make sense. I mean, you, you're going to fire a guy in David Culley who had no previous co- uh, head coaching experience, and you're going to hire somebody like Jared Mayo or one of these other candidates that doesn't have head coaching experience. That may be the only thread, Robert, that you've latched onto, is that it would be somebody who is willing to let Nick Casario tell them what to do, which is essentially what he did with David Culley most of the season. Yeah, I think Mayo's ascendancy or his name just all of a sudden – coming out there this quickly he might be the guy more likely that Casario was fixated on and maybe that's the reason why he let go of Cully because you know Mayo was somebody that he wasn't on anybody's coaching radar but all of a sudden I think other teams not just the Texans are interested in Mayo and he's just been an assistant like a inside linebackers coach basically for the Patriots for the last three seasons but I see somebody like him maybe more than Flores. Maybe there's somebody else out there. Maybe he surprised all of us and goes outside of the Texans or outside the Patriots thing and, and brings back a former Texan like a D'Amico Ryans or somebody like that that's also getting some buzz in the coaching circles. Yeah, that certainly would be a surprise uh, because this seems to be a theme uh, with what's going on here. So, I, you know, as I said earlier, nothing the Texans would do uh, surprises me at this point. But, you know, if it were me making the decision, I would probably go with Brian Flores. I think he won an experienced hand and he, you know, he didn't do a bad job in Miami, but obviously there were some other things going on there, but just, I don't know the, this whole thing with the Texans, the, the coaching saga, it's like you, you hire a guy for one year, then you let him go. And now you're going to bring in somebody else that also doesn't have head coaching experience. That is a possibility, but it would be the Texans. I mean, that's just, how they keep playing things out here. Yeah, I just do not see Brian Flores coming here because I think he really would like to get somebody like Deshaun Watson, who's got this great relationship with. And, you know, I think he's going to be trying to make it a package deal wherever he goes. I mean, there's no there's no law that says that the Texans have to trade Deshaun Watson to where Brian Flores goes. But Deshaun Watson, as we keep saying, has a no trade clause and he can dictate where he goes and that's going to play a part of it. And Brian Flores, you know, Steven, you look at what happened with him in Miami and he butted heads with a lot of people. And if he's butting heads with people and his ego is an issue, and I know Casario knows Flores pretty well, so they have a relationship, but if that's a problem, that's not somebody that Casario or Jack Easterby would be too excited about as somebody that's not going to be the team guy. No, that's certainly true. And, you know, as you just said, you know, somebody like a Jared Mayo might be a better fit just because of the, the control factor. But, you know, is that really in the best interest of the Texans moving forward? I, I just don't know. I, you know, I, I've always feel and, you know, you could talk about the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones always being so hands on over the years and not letting the general manager manage and letting the coach coach, you know, it seems like that's going to be the same way with the Texans, that the general manager is basically going to be in the coach's ear all the time. 
And while I don't think it's healthy, you know, if, if that's what's going to be the Texans way, then that's probably how this is going to play out. I want to go back to Jared Mayo for just a second, because if you haven't read much about him, it's interesting. You might remember that he was a defensive rookie of the year with the Patriots, considered That's a right. great leader, actually became one of the team captains in his third season in New England, which is no small feat for those great Patriots teams. He retired after just eight seasons because of injuries. And, you know, that's where we are right now with him and him being assistant. And I, Stephen, I just want to read what was said about Mayo in a book called War Room, The Legacy of Bill Belichick and the Art of Building the Perfect Team. The author, Michael Holly said, quote, Mayo had been a top 10 pick who didn't act like one. On draft day, when the best of the best are invited to New York, often wearing made-for-occasion tailored suits, Mayo had been home in Virginia with his family, raking leaves. He was a worker there and a worker in Foxborough. In the offseason, he'd come to the stadium and watch film even when there were no coaches to be found, unquote. Who does that sound like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a... Sounds like an all-around good guy, nice guy, and, uh, you know, a great worker. Sounds I, like Casario. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Casario. It's just basically two peas in a pod, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I – as soon as I read that, I was like, well, no wonder Nick might be interested in that guy. That's 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 him. He just – he's a all football all the time. He doesn't take days off. He doesn't take rest. I don't, I, to me, I, I just see Casario as a guy that wakes up in the morning – goes to NRG Stadium, is watching stuff, is doing things, never leaves there until like 11 o'clock at night, goes home, says, good night, wife. I'm, I'll, be, I'll, I'll see you for like two seconds in the morning when I'm eating breakfast. <laughs> well, of course, Bill O'Brien did a lot of the same things, but that didn't make him a successful coach or general manager either. So, you know, but, but yeah, I, I've always heard great things about Jared Mayo, and you certainly can't discount the fact that he was part of that winning culture but so so were a lot of these assistant coaches under bill belichick and the the history of that just hasn't played out quite well any other thoughts on this coaching search or anything else that the texans you know should do i guess going forward if we're looking at the next couple of weeks and where they go with this coaching search well, I don't see this dragging out for too much longer unless, uh, you know, there's just something that, that they really do want to take their time. I, I just, you know, I, and I know this has been kind of brought up around Twitter and some of the national things, but, you know, the firing of David Culley basically leaves you with only one black head coach in the NFL. And since we just celebrated Martin Luther King Day, it just kind of makes me wonder, you know, the NFL talks so much about trying to better diversify and hire more black coaches and this, that, and the other. Well, the history is definitely not pointing to that right now. And you fire David Culley, well, you have one less. You only have one left in the league at this moment. Yeah, but I think Brian Flores is going to be back. Todd Bowles is a candidate. Eric Bieniemy. There's a bunch of guys out there. I have a feeling that's not going to be the case for long. I think it's just coincidence, the Culley situation. We know what happened there. And then Brian Flores, that was just a breakdown between – owner right. and, and coach and not getting along and all that. I, it, it's, I, I, I don't see it happening uh, for very long where we're, we're going to just have one, one in the whole NFL. Well, I certainly hope not. And, and I mean, I know there are some other names that are going to come forward and I'm not insinuating the Texans did it for that reason. No, not at all. I, I just think it's interesting you know, from a league wide standpoint, we've been hearing for years and they're, they're trumpeting about doing something about it. So just be interesting to see how it plays out and just how the whole Texan search plays out. 
because no matter what they do, Robert, <laughs> we're probably going to be scratching our head to some degree as, as it looks. The big thing for me, I'm looking at, you know, how soon do they get their head coach as comparison to some of the other NFL teams, because they've operated relatively slow on a lot of this stuff. And you wonder if they're going to be a little bit more in a rush because maybe some of their guys that they like, they're going to be interviewed by other teams. And if you don't act fast, you might lose a guy. Well, it certainly played out last year. I mean, and I don't know if, the, you know, the, the way the whole search, you ended up with David Cully and a lot of these other guys that we bandied about were snapped up pretty quickly. So yeah, the same thing, that, that's going to happen every year in a coaching search. If you drag your feet where the hot candidates are, well, those hot candidates, you know, if they're interviewing for jobs, they want the jobs. So with the Texans, it's just, you know, they, whoever, depending on who they want, need to go out there and get their guy before somebody else does. Last year, I just felt like it didn't matter because the guy that they were going to hire was the guy that they were probably going to fire. And so you thought, well, yeah, they they didn't exactly get, you know, one of those grade A guys, but it felt like very purposeful, especially when you see Kelly's already gone. Yeah. And, and that even crossed my mind last year, just the way the whole thing was handled. I mean, you know, David Cully wasn't on anybody's radar. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he comes up. And then you also see Casario basically being in his ear the whole season. Yeah, it just didn't bode well for David Culley. Yeah, he got his shot, but it lasted less than a year, and they didn't have any players around him, too. And, you know, that's the other issue, too, Robert, is no matter who you bring in, you got to bring some guys around this this coach for the Texans to really start being a good team. So that's the other thing we're going to have to see as, as the uh, weeks and months come on. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because if you come here, you've got to trust that you're going to be able to do a little bit about what you want to do. And you also have to trust that Casario knows what he's doing and you got to be able to trust this whole organization, which is something that's hard to do. And if they get somebody that's a big name that a lot of other teams were looking at, uh, that, that that'll say something good about the Texans franchise. If, if they don't, or if it's a guy that's, you know, how did that guy get a head coaching job so quickly Then I think everybody's going to question What's going on? Yeah, well, if they do get a hot name or someone that someone's been big on, it'll certainly make me feel a lot better, you know. But then the next thing is you're going to have draft choices, and depending on what happens with the Deshaun trade, you get some good players around you. Then I'm going to feel a lot better about the look of the Texans. But I don't know, Robert. Just in the last few years, when you know, as I've said before, it all starts at the top with the leadership, and as long as that's in place, I just I don't feel confident that even if you get some good people and good players that the Texans are going to be able to maintain any kind of consistency if they did become good. Remember when the Texans used to play on wildcard weekend quite a bit, Stephen? Does it feel like it was like centuries ago? Yeah, I, I seem to vaguely recall that in my memory, Robert. I've gotten a few years older since then. Well, no, maybe only what, a couple? <laughs> Three? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, was it just me or did we have way more blowouts this weekend with the wild cards? That's always been my concern, Stephen, when you added in more teams. All of a sudden, the first round is a bunch of mismatches and bad TV, which is kind of what we see in the watered-down NBA playoffs. Yeah, this is exactly why I did not want an expanded playoffs, Robert. I just felt now, you know, as you get deeper into the playoffs, you're you're probably not going to see that as much, but that's neither here nor there. What do you want to watch a a bunch of first-round games for? I mean, the the Cowboys 49ers game was really the best game, I guess, but not for just the reasons it was a close game. Some of the wacky things that were going on there especially from the Cowboys point of view but yeah from an overall standpoint I I just I had almost zero enthusiasm 
for Wild Card Weekend and, and wanting to watch it. And that's kind of what we're starting to see in the NBA and even the NHL. You know, basically every pro sport has expanded their playoffs. We know what the reason is. It's all about money. We, we know that. But that certainly doesn't bode well for the fans because I just think the product gets too watered down. Yeah, it kind of reminds me that there was always that really rough-looking six seed that was in the playoffs. And typically that rough-looking six seed for a couple of years was the Texans, which nobody wanted to see. I was like, why do I have to watch the Texans play on, on Wild Card Weekend? Yeah, that's basically it. And, of course, you know, with the Texans, they basically have only gotten – Passed the first round a handful of times, and uh, you know, other than that, they've had some doozies. At least the, you know the, the Kansas City loss being the most recent. Yeah, and the team that they used to beat up on Wild Card Weekend, the Bengals, uh, really happy for their fans because they finally got a playoff win after 30 years or so. But it, yeah, you know, didn't need to be reminded over and over again that their last win was a 41 to 14 butt kicking that they put on the Houston Oilers. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's that's pretty sad when it's been that long. But, yeah, talk about a fan base that's waited a long time. And, uh, you know, the, those fans are glad that the Texans weren't in the playoffs because, you know, the Texans beat those Bengals a couple of times over the last 10 years or so. But, yeah, great to see for the Bengals. Don't know if they can go any deeper, but, you know, at least they got that one playoff win that they haven't had in so long. Yeah, Joe Burrow really looked good, too. I think he's going to be a good quarterback for quite a while. And, you know, if there were, was any solace to Texans fans this weekend, it was that aforementioned Cowboys loss. And the reminder that since the Texans inception, and of course this is something that came up over and over again, I noticed on social media, the Texans have four playoff wins and the Cowboys have three. Yeah. The, the Texans are actually ahead in the scoreboard in, in one respect <laughs> about that. And, and the other thing is, you know, some of the, the dumb, you know, strategy moves the Cowboys made. I mean, that that's kind of almost sounds like something the Texans would do. But no, this was the Cowboys that did that this past weekend. Yeah, that draw play at the end of the game, that was just, you know, I didn't see the whole game. I saw most of it, Stephen, and that draw play at the end was bad. I mean, I, I, I you get mad about that, you know, of course, but let's not think that, you know, if that doesn't happen, that they're going to get a 30-yarder touch what was it about a 30 yard touchdown yeah 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 there's no guarantee with that but i don't know how you could really believe that you had enough time to run that draw play and then hurry up to the line of scrimmage and spike before the clock ran out i mean that that's just that's as poor clock management as as anything and we we've seen some bonehead ones for the texans but man i i haven't seen anything like that at the end of a game in years yeah, there's some weird NFL coaching decisions all the time, and it's it's always amazing to me. I'm like, like the guys at home, everybody at home's going, what, what, what's going on? I mean, we see it with the Texans all the time, and yeah, that was weird. And you know, I wasn't disappointed to see the Cowboys lose, as you might imagine, but I also didn't mind seeing the Patriots and the Steelers get trounced. That was fun. It wasn't as much fun, Stephen, to see J.J. Watt leave the field with yet another playoff loss early on in the process. And I don't know if you caught any of the cards Rams, but I've rarely seen a supposed good quarterback look as overwhelmed and panicky as Tyrod Taylor. This wasn't Brian Hoyer out there. He looked like what I'd have looked like out there, just look lost and, you know, just he was in a total panic mode. Yeah, that was surprising. And yeah, I, I certainly feel bad for 
for J.J. Watt, and, you know, and with the, you know, coupled with the injuries that he suffered over the last few years, and then hoping to, you know, get another playoff run before the end of his career. Now, the Bills Patriots, I mean, those Bills, I tell you what, they are something else. They're up and coming. I guess you, you kind of have to feel bad, a little bad, not for the Patriots so much, but for their quarterback who had such a great season. But yeah, just a, a lot of interesting storylines around uh, the NFL with the, the varying degrees of play and some of the quarterbacks. Uh, it'd be interesting to see at least I'm going to be a little more interested in the second round, I think, as things go forward. Yeah, you were wondering when in the world are the Bills going to put it all together? And they have games, but they've got to put it together for a stretch. And I, I think they're you know, definitely one of the most talented teams in the NFL. And I don't know what you think, Stephen, but maybe the best game in the whole playoffs is coming up this weekend because I don't see any offensive show that's going to be better than the Bills and the Chiefs and Mahomes and Josh Allen. Yeah, I certainly think you're right. And, you know, both teams have shown inconsistency throughout the year. So that may be definitely one of the more interesting games of the playoffs. And getting back to the Steelers, I mean, I, I've never been a big Steelers fan, as you know, Robert, because, well, I was an Oilers fan and they were certainly big rivals. But uh, probably Ben's swan song, Ben Roethlisberger, going to be retiring. So you, you hate to see, I guess, anybody go out the way he did. But uh, it looks like you've seen the last of Big Ben uh, as, as an NFL player at this point. Yeah, I, I never was much of a fan of his. And, you know, he had some off the field stuff that, right? That, you know, I, I, I don't know if that should have just been brushed under the rug as easily as it was by the whole NFL fan base. And maybe if it happened a couple of years ago, instead of, you know, what was it over a decade ago, it, it might not have been as brushed as it. I mean, I think people forget about some allegations and rape allegations from, from Roethlisberger, uh, you know, against him, but it just, I just not just that he's not exactly warm and fuzzy to me. No, he's not warm and fuzzy. And I think I also remember he, he got on a motorcycle some years ago, had an accident when he shouldn't have been on a motorcycle and some other things. So, no, I, I'm certainly not shedding any tears over him. And as I said, I'm not a Steelers fan, so I, I'm not going to, you know, take too much time. But it just, it, you know, interesting. that's another storyline is that was probably Ben's last game with the Steelers. Be interesting to see what they do moving forward with their quarterback position. And that's another team that needs a quarterback. Hello. I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah, made Deshaun to the Steelers. Oh, how ironic would that be? He could be playing with a bunch of Watts, too, over there. That's exactly right. Lots of Watts of power there. Let's get to the Rockets. And they split a pair with the Kings over the weekend. Just a couple of games since you and I last spoke. But I want to just talk at the beginning about uh, Shane Goon, who came back. He's back in the fold after the injury, but I feel like he hasn't been the same guy I was so excited about at the beginning of the season, Stephen. He has had a bad couple of weeks before the injury, and then it really didn't change a whole lot after his return. He, he just doesn't seem to have the mojo right now. You know, this is the thing we always wonder, Robert, with young players and, you know, guys that haven't been used to a full NBA season. And I'm wondering if, you know, that's part of it. Is it as you get deeper into the season, you know, you start kind of feeling like these guys, if, if they're not maybe tiring out necessarily, but just not used to keeping up such a hectic pace for so long. So are you, are you, is that man crush that you have on Shingun, is, is it starting to fade a little bit? Do I, do I hear that in your tone of voice, Robert? Just a little concerned about him, <laughs> but, you know, you said it. I mean, it's we forget it's been so long since there's been a bunch of 19 and 20 and 21-year-olds on the Rockets. And, you know, how these guys are going to transition. I felt like Shane Goon, the transition would be a little bit easier because he was playing in a professional league 
over in, in Europe and you felt like it was one of the better professional leagues. So maybe he would be used to the physicality. He would be used to playing against grown men, but you know, he's talked about it. You heard about it in the interviews that he's done where he said, yeah, I, 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 you know, was getting a little bit winded. And I think what Silas was doing was good because I, I wasn't really able to, you know, play as many minutes as, you know, some of the other guys out there and I, I need to get my win and all that. And that, that might have something to do with it. You know, also you, you get an adjustment, you know, mid season, usually with a lot of rookies as other teams see what they do good and they don't do good. You start, you know, hearing scouting reports and all of a sudden, you know, they've got to figure out, Oh, I've got to change my game a little bit. Cause now people are seeing what I do well and what I don't. And, and they start playing to that. Well, I think also a lot of it has to do with the team style of play. I mean, if you're going at a faster pace through most of the season, you, you are going to get a little winded. And so that might enter into it as well. Yeah. And maybe we're starting to see a little bit of the rookie wall with Josh Christopher, because he didn't look as good. We raved about him, or at least I raved about him last show, and he didn't look all that great against Sacramento. So maybe there's something there. Uh, Jalen Green, there's still some ups and downs. Wasn't super excited about what I saw from him over the weekend. The shooting, it's really gone back to struggling a lot. Uh, he's going to have to keep going to the basket, and really that needs to be his first option. Just keep doing that. Keep Get good at that, and I think as he gets stronger and he gets used to the physicality and he gets used to playing against NBA guys, I think I think the shooting's going to come. I just it's hard for me to believe that it's going to continue at I think he's somewhere around 30% from 3 right now, which it's it's surprising to me, but maybe it shouldn't be. Yeah, I'd definitely like to see him drive more to the hoop and and start working on that a little bit more. And yeah, the shooting, it's one of those things you just have to keep working at it and hope that it it's you know, his age that is preventing him from that, that he'll just improve going forward. What I will say, Robert, is that at least to some degree, you know, the, the Rockets defenses look good in flashes and, and Christian Wood, especially lately, you know, has had some good flashes on the defense. And one thing, and we saw this, you know, in both games against Sacramento, if the Rockets can just reduce the amount of points that uh, the opposing teams get in the paint, then their defense does better when they don't. Well, that's when it collapses. And, we saw both ends of that, you know, in the two games. It's funny. We, we've had, as you said, two games since we last podcast. Both of them have been against the Sacramento Kings. Right. And that's kind of typical of, of this season. Maybe going forward, they're trying to put these back-to-backs together. So there's not as much travel. It might, it's partly because of the COVID, but you wonder if they might do that just to take the wear and tear off guys as far as, you know, playing, you know, three games and four nights and you know, whatever you're playing one city and then another city or what. So that, that's something to think about. Steven, I, I, I wanted to bring up an athletic story from Kelly eco athletic, of course, the, the publication, the, the web publication where eco interviewed John Hollinger. You remember Hollinger used to be the VP of basketball ops in Memphis. He's covered the NBA as a writer and broadcaster, both before right. and after that stint in the Grizzlies front office when he was there, you know, he, he obviously, was around these GMs for a while. So he's got some, he's got some cachet. You got to listen to what he has to say. And he made the point in the piece that the Rockets should be open to moving Jay Sean Tate at the trade deadline. Now that's going to make a bunch mm. of Rockets fans upset, but I agree with Hollinger, Steven, and I'll tell you why. I just think you have to be open to a move. And here's what I'd consider. Cause you know, Jay Sean Tate, he, he's not a superstar. 
he's a role player. And if, right. if you talk to these GMs, they'll tell you, we can find those guys. It's just harder to find the superstars. But my feeling is if you can package him with Christian Wood or Eric Gordon to get a young player who potentially could be better than Jay Sean Tate down the road, you do it. Here's an example. You could trade him with Eric Gordon to the Bulls in a package if you could get Patrick Williams back. Now think about this. Williams, a top four pick, bunch of potential, um, has a little bit of an outside shot with the athleticism that he's had. You know, he's done for the year with an injury. The Bulls are in a mode right now where they've got to think about winning now with the guys that they've had. They have a lot of veterans on that roster. They went from young to old pretty quickly. And if you could give them two guys, not just one, but two guys that could help them without giving up anybody main in their rotation, I think Kobe White, if I was looking at the contracts, you'd have they'd have to include him. And he's a he's a pretty good young player, but he's a bench guy and he's behind Lonzo. So he's just a he'd be it'd be giving up a backup point guard for them. And, you know, you're getting Eric Gordon in exchange. So, you know, that's an example though of something that I would see. Uh, the Rockets having to think about with Jay Sean Tate because, you know, he's just a role player. You know, he's a really good role player and they're hard to find those guys, um, but he's a role player. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that might raise some eyebrows, but I, I kind of think you're right, Robert, because really, if you look at everyone on the Rockets, you know, with the exception, of course, of Jalen Green and maybe one or two others, I, I don't know that anyone on the Rockets is untouchable. I mean, those are things that, I think you have to look at trades like that and, and players like that. Yeah, he's, he's not going to be a superstar. I mean, we've talked about his intensity and his, his hustle and some of the all-around things he does. But in the full scheme of things, you know, if you're rebuilding mode and you're trying to fill some needs in other areas, then I think you have to look at just about everybody on that roster, including Jay Sean Tate, and being willing to move them at the trade deadline or, or maybe even sometime later on. Here's the other thing about what you're going to be looking for in a, in a trade. Everybody on Rockets Twitter talks about, you know, getting a first round pick for Eric Gordon or getting a first round pick for Christian Wood. But honestly, the odds that you get a better player for what's likely a mid to late first round pick, you're you're likely not going to get anything probably above 15 to 20 in return for either one of those guys. The likelihood that anybody's actually better than Wood or Gordon, the guys that you're giving up, is is low and I get it those two guys are going to leave in a year and a half and they're not part of the future but at the same time I think of it in terms of maybe you can combine those two guys Gordon and Wood or combine them with Jay Sean Tate and get uh, a young player along with the first round draft choice from some of these teams like Charlotte for instance which you know everybody's been talking about Charlotte and the potential of a Christian Wood to Charlotte move because Charlotte needs a big man. They need a center on that roster that's a little bit better than a Miles Plumley, which is the guy that they have now. They want to go to the playoffs. You know, they would like to really do something this year because they, they don't get a, much of a chance to go to the playoffs. And the thing about Charlotte is you would think their eyes, if they were looking for a big, would have been on Miles Turner. But Stephen, today, as you and I are speaking, Turner went out with a foot injury. Yeah. And that's a big deal because... He's not going to be back likely before the trade deadline. So a team's going to have to gamble on a big with a foot injury. And as we know, as Rocket fans, <laughs> bigs with foot injuries are not yeah. good gambles. And the other thing is that also makes Christian Wood 
maybe more valuable now in the trade market. And that might help with a Christian Wood to Charlotte. And I bring up the Hornets because they drafted Book Knight in the lottery this year. He's not playing much. He's not a big part of their rotation. So you might be able to squeeze somebody like him out. Uh, with the first round pick for for Christian Wood, or you know, you, you're a UT guy, you know about Kai Jones. He's also with Charlotte right. and also has some some talent. PJ Washington's another guy that maybe they can uh, take a little bit of a thing on because PJ Washington was a really good player coming out of college, and he doesn't look like he's in their top five anymore. So that's why I really love Charlotte and and and, and a Chicago team that is desperate to get. Those are teams that are really looking to get to the playoffs. And their first round picks, I mean, not the Bulls as much, but definitely Charlotte might be a little bit better than some of these higher up teams, you know, these big old championship potential teams. Well, you touched on it. And I mean, we don't know what's going to happen between now and the trade deadline. I mean, there could be some more major injuries or, you know, things going on that would make a player like a Christian Wood, Eric Gordon, even more valuable than they are now. And, you know, not only with a young player, but as you said, if you could just sneak in another draft pick that you could do something with, either use it or, you know, trade for something else. Those are all the possibilities I think you have to look at if you're the Rockets when they're in the rebuilding phase that they're in right now. You love college football, but are you watching much college basketball this year, Stephen, besides the Cougars? Because I'm starting to really focus on these games that involve potential Houston Rockets draft choices. You know, the guys that are going to be top four or five in the lottery. Well, I probably should. You know, I, I must admit, I, I haven't watched as much college basketball in, as, as I have in years past. Other than the Cougars, of course. And I, I, even have, I haven't even watched as many UT games as I normally do, which is kind of unusual. But you're right. I, I mean sprinkled all over the place are, are guys, you know, especially if you're talking about high-end picks. I mean, some of these guys could be in rocket uniforms next year. All right. Are you interested in my early scouting reports? <laughs> Why not? Did, you know, what, what do they call them? The, the way too early Robert Land Houston Rockets draft in 2022? I, I just like to watch these guys and go, okay, where am I on this guy as somebody that I would like for the Rockets. And, you know, all four of them are very interesting. The top four, this is a four-player draft, according to all the experts at this point. You know, the the guys are Chet Holmgren, Jaden Ivey, Banchero with the Duke Blue Devils, of course. And then uh, the fourth guy is the one that I'm probably as excited about as anybody is Jabari Smith. But I will say, I watched Banchero play this weekend with Duke in North Carolina and the one thing that Banchero does, Stephen, that's worth mentioning is he is a, a good mid-range player. And I feel like the guys that turn into superstars in the NBA are good mid-range players. Jalen Green, I want to see more of the mid-range from you. And Banchero is the best of all of the guys that I've seen so far at the mid-range game. And, you know, Holmgren... He's dealing with Timmy, so you it's hard to judge him right now because Timmy is such a big part of Gonzaga's offense, and he's a big, and Holmgren's a big. But I, I love Bench. He's got that mid-range game. He's super athletic. Uh, it's hard to find anything to shoot. He's a good passer, too. It's hard to find anything to shoot holes in him. Well, I tell you what, that you know, when you have your mid-range game to the point where he does, and, and boy, that's what the Rockets really need at this point, so... You know, you bring a guy like that in, whether it's him or someone similar that has that part of that development, 
man, I'd, I'd get pretty excited too next year. I guess the athleticism of Jabari, and was not, it's not like Banchero isn't athletic, but Jabari's a little bit bigger, a little taller, and a little rangier, I guess you might say. I mean, although he you know, doesn't have a great uh, wingspan, but the one thing about uh, Banchero that just stuck out was, man, that guy has got a little bit of everything to his game. And you you want to find that superstar. That's really what you're aiming for with that top four pick. Now, you know, it might not matter. It's all going to depend on where they fall. And remember, even if the Rockets had the worst record in the NBA, as we saw last year, the best odds, 48%, is that you're the fifth pick in the draft. Yeah. But the Rockets still have really good odds to be in the, that top four right now. I mean, they're you know, one of the four worst teams in the NBA for sure. So, and I, and I don't think it's going to change much, especially as you trade off potentially an Eric Gordon or even a Christian Wood. But I would say that, you know, you've got to start trying to figure out which guy you would be wanting the Rockets to get. Now, Ivy, he's, you know, it's another guard, but he's a guard with real great athleticism and he can play defense, which, you know, if you've got Jalen Green... It's going to be a real, he is a project on defense, Stephen, a long project on defense. Yeah, unfortunately. And I think we even talked about that before the draft is, is that something that, you know, the Rockets really needed some defense and he's probably not going to provide that. I'm just wondering, Robert, you know, if any of those four names you mentioned or, or anyone else that no one really seems to be jumping off the board at me and like, oh my gosh, we've got to grab this guy. It, it's more, I think of who does this player fit with? you know, with the court that the Rockets are trying to build, I think as much as anything, but you're right. They need a superstar. I don't know if they're going to get that in this draft though. The other thing about Jaden Ivey besides his athleticism, and I think he's going to be a much better defensive player than Jalen Green. As soon as he walks into the NBA, he's got long arms, super athletic, all of those things. Hopefully he's not Russell Westbrook as far as, Hey, long and athletic and all that, Mm -hmm. but I don't really feel like playing a whole lot of defense. But (laughs) um, I, I think the thing that, separates him from the Rockets current guards is he's much better shooter definitely better shooter than I think Kevin Porter was coming into the NBA and probably better than Jalen Green I mean his three-point percentage is taking a big jump this year I don't think it's a I don't think it's something that's unsustainable with him I mean I think it's he's in the 40s this year and he's been in the 40s most of this most of the year and you know he's not a 19-year-old like the current Rockets. So I think when he comes into the NBA, unlike some of these 19-year-olds, he's going to be much more prepared, I think, for the physicality. And I, I just think he's going to be better right off the bat than some of these other guys have been. Well, that could be. And I think, you know, really in, in thinking about it as you've been talking, you know, depending on what the Rockets do with a trade, you know, at the trade deadline or somewhere after that, I think it's going to determine, you know, who could they bring in that would be a good fit and certainly work better on defense because they certainly need to do that, you know, within the next few months, whether it's via trade or through the draft is start getting that consistency. And, and even in the shooting couldn't help, couldn't hurt there either. So I think that's what we're going to have to look at is, you know, what's going to happen down the road with trades and then start looking at some of these guys that you've talked about and even some others that, that might actually be sleepers in this next draft and see where they would fit on the Rockets with the core that they currently have. You just mentioned something that just, it's so huge. Ivy looks like a good shooter. Jabari Smith looks like a good shooter. That's such a big deal because the Rockets right now, 
once Eric Gordon goes, I mean, it's Garrison Matthews and who else are we, do you want shooting threes? Who else well, in this lineup? Yeah, that's right. And that's the thing is if you trade Eric Gordon, you're definitely going to be trading one of your best shooters. So you've got to have somebody in line to, to step in because they, they don't have that depth as far as shooting. And, you know, somebody who can come off the bench and really provide a spark that you need. I, I mean, that's, that's certainly what the Rockets need. Shooting and defense, uh, those are really the two big things at this point. Yeah, I talked about that with Hardesty a couple of weeks ago, and we got into the fact that Rafael Stone, he's got to put more of an emphasis on shooting. It, it was a thing with Daryl Morey, too. I don't understand it. We're, we're in the modern NBA. You need guys that can hit threes, and the Rockets have not exactly been good at finding those guys outside of Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson that you spent a ton of money on in free agency. Uh -huh. it's, it's, been, it's been a whole lot of nothing for, for guys that can shoot you know, obviously James Harden, an exception, but you know, besides that, it's it, there's there hasn't been much. Uh, Trevor Reza was okay, but he wasn't anything special either. Well, and you know, those guys you may have, like uh, even Eric Gordon. I mean, the, the biggest thing that has slowed him down is the injuries. And Ryan Anderson, you know, certainly wasn't uh, didn't live up to the big contract that he thought he would. It, he showed flashes. So, yeah, it's really hard to find the the guys that you know, aside from the great players, obviously who can provide that kind of consistency with shooting that the Rockets so desperately lack right now. Shooting being a big deal. Well, let's move to the Cougs for just a second because the guards have been dropping like flies and, and that's a huge concern. But Steven, I was going to get frustrated and upset for our Cougs about the big loss of Jamal Shedd over the weekend. But in some crazy miracle, right before we started to record, it was announced that Shed was playing Tuesday night. So as Gilda Radner's famous character, Emily Latella used to say, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I, I hope, though, that not only can he provide, you know, what the Cougs need, certainly, but that he doesn't aggravate this this injury, because that really surprised me, Robert. I, I was fully expecting him to be out two weeks. And, you know, that would have put them down, I think, what, three guards would, would all they be, have available just as you said, they've been dropping like flies all over the place. So it's great that Jamal Shedd is playing. You talk about somebody that's been a real leader for this team. Jamal Shedd is that guy. And especially with some of the other injuries they've had, you know, he's really had to step up and just provide that on-court leadership as well as his play. So you just hope that he doesn't aggravate the injury, you know, or do something where he's going to have to be out even longer because of that. Last thing I had on the agenda, Stephen, is word came out today as you and I speak on Tuesday that the Sugarland Skeeters are going to rebrand here very shortly. There's no more Skeeters. You know, I'm kind of sad about that. I mean, I understand it. <laughs> it just, I thought the name Skeeters was just so fitting because, you know what, as some of you may not know, I'm from Houston. I, I live in Austin, but I'm from Houston, so... I certainly grew up with uh, plenty of skeeters in my yards, <laughs> just, you know, with the humidity and near the, the gulf and everything. So, I don't know. I just thought the skeeters is one of those names that, yeah, maybe kind of corny, but clever. So, yeah, it was kind of sad to see that. I had a source tell me that the skeeters are going to go to a more space-centered theme. I, somebody told me that a uh, little inside info Stephen, you probably know who I'm talking I, about. I think I know who you're talking. I'm not going to say his name, but I think I know the same guy you know, and I bet you that he's the one who told you. Yeah, well, we'll just leave it at that. 
Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I probably should have mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I had had a conversation. It's been, I think when we were on the break, so I had forgotten that I had the conversation with him, but he said, oh yeah, they're, they're going to be moving to a more space theme the, the way the Astros are. Do you have any preferences? Is there a name that you can think from Houston Pass with a space theme that maybe Sugarland could go to, you know, the Sugarland boosters or I, yeah. I'm trying to think of a rocket, you know, it seems like we need a, a, a rocket. That's a more modern one. You know, you can't name them the Sugarland space shuttles. Any, at this uh, point. I was going to say the Sugarland shuttles might work. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I was trying to think of that as you were saying it, Robert. And I guess it, it really doesn't surprise me. I mean, they, if they're going to be the affiliate of the Astros, you know, they probably want to come up with a name that fits that team. But I don't know, the Sugarland Shuttles, uh, it kind of rings a bell with me, but I'd have to I'd have to do some more thinking. Um, yeah, Sugarland Boosters, possibly, like you said. Yeah, because they're going to be boosted up from AAA to the major leagues. But I, when, until you said it, I never even thought about that. The Sugarland Shuttles is kind of really a cool double on time because they're going to be yep. shuttling back and forth between them and the Astros. Well, you know, that's right. I didn't even think of that possibility. I was just thinking of the name. You know, it just goes, it just rolls off the tongue, but you're right. Yeah, they a lot of these players get shuttled back and forth from AAA to the major leagues. So, or they could be boosted to the major league. So Mr. Source that, that we know, if you're listening, you know, or any of the, the Skeeters uh, brass, you know, you might uh, pass that along, do some thinking about those two names. Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, like I said, it's shuttles. Is is that going to be something that's a little outdated already? Or I, that's the only, that's my only question mark with, with the shuttles. But you know, what, what other Houston space themes have we had with some of the nicknames well we have arrows of course with hockey several different times right uh the apollos they they were a minor league hockey team way back i want to say and this was before i was keeping up with sports i think it was the late 60s early 70s so the you know apollos might be a possibility apollos yeah i remember them but of course that you know that was back in the apollo age so that might even be a little outdated no but uh i think apollo it's got much more classic appeal because you know the apollo was the program that took us to the moon and apollo 13 the movie and yeah that that's kind of thing you know the, sh the shuttle thing should be more fondly remembered but unfortunately the, the tragedies i think come yeah. to mind more than the yeah. triumphs but the boosters we you might even you know i kind of like the boosters the more i think about it so yeah there's just a couple of ideas out there i was just wondering what you because you're you're an idea guy steven <laughs> well, that's what I've come up with. I, I'd have to do, you know, maybe brush up on my space knowledge a little bit, maybe, you know, quiz some astronauts and see, you know, what, what other terms do y'all use that maybe we can turn into a name for the Sugarland Skeeters? Well, until we talk to you next time, hope to figure out by the next time Steven and I get together, who's going to be the captain of the spaceship of the Houston Texans. So, uh, looking forward to that, but uh, have a great one, everyone. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>